podcasterinos, podcasters, podcast listeners. It's time for the number one show for podcast people to watch. Not bounty hunters. That would be weird to have a show that gave bounties out. I don't know why that is a thing that exists and is legal in this universe, but you know what? Let's get into it. We're going to talk about Cowboy Bebop, the original anime series. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your new favorite show. My name is Drew, and I am ready to talk about Bounty Hunters with a jazz soundtrack. I am joined by my good buddy, one of my best friends in the entire world. Miles, how are you? Hey, I'm doing very, very well. I'm. It's weird. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, and because neither of us had revisited this anime in a very long time and i i always get really trepidatious this is a weird thing about me i think i've mentioned this to you before in just casual conversation whenever i watch something that i just fall in love with i have this weird tick in the back of my head that sometimes keeps me from re-watching it yes because 100 worried i'm so worried that I'm not going to love it. And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> you want your memory of the thing to be pure and good. And and you don't want that tainted by your your extra decade and a half of experience that and and viewing and, and all of this other stuff. I bro, I 100 percent get that. And I even texted Especially you Especially when I love something so much to get it grafted onto my skin. <laughs> Now, he is not talking about uh, Cowboy Bebop in this case. He is talking about no, no, Full Metal I'm Alchemist. Alchemist. But, you know, there's that that thing when you come back to it maybe 10 years later. And I've had this tattoo for. 15 years now. Um, it's 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 weird. Uh, so it's always a relief, you know, when you watch something the second time. I have not watched this in in to completion, probably since we were both in college. Same. Uh, absolutely same. And, and, and yeah, and I, I honestly there are things I've only actually seen the last couple episodes one time. I have seen the rest of the, the episodes um, a few times here and there. But. So my my, my memory of, of the, the last like four or five episodes is a little hazy. But. I I have very, very clear memories of maybe the first ten because I've probably watched those in, in random assortments, whether it be from uh, buying an import bootleg in college <laughs> because it was $12 at some uh, site. And it happened to be, I still have it to this day. I'll have to get it out sometime. It's a, at least a time amazing quality uh, bootleg. I think maybe it was a Chinese import or, or catching episodes when it uh, popped onto Cartoon Network which we'll talk about when we get into to the little bit of the history section. Um, I'm very similar, except I, I know I have watched the first three episodes, the episodes that we watched today multiple times. And in fact, watched those first three episodes in the last couple of years because it, it was streaming and, uh, and I was trying to, you know, wanting to watch it again. And I was trying to get my wife into it and, 
well, we only watched three episodes. Uh, she's just, she didn't get into it. It's okay. She says she would absolutely watch the live action I mean, she's, version she's, with she's, me. She's very particular though. Yeah. Like when it comes to something that requires a time dedication, if you, if you don't catch her at least in three episodes, your wife is not going to watch the rest. No, that's absolutely true. Um, except Game of Thrones, which she hated the entire first season and a half. And then we watched every episode as it came out beyond <laughs> that. I don't know. That's a weird outlier. But uh, that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, I do want to go a little bit into the secret origins of the more you nerd just a tad, because we both mentioned watching this. And and you had mentioned in this year's anime specifically that you prefer or mostly watch animation TV shows. So when this came out, were you already into anime or was this like for many people kind of one of your big intros? So I have to understand as we were recording this in early November of 2021. Yes, that magic future date that I never thought would get here. Um, uh, I am 37 years old. Coming up when we came up was a time of an explosion of anime in the United States. Uh, and we're going to especially so-called classic anime. Yes. And we're going to see that reflected in some of the history that we get into. So we are the kids that grew up watching stuff on TV, like speed racer and not really not knowing at first that it was different or weird. And then finding out later that it was this other thing, this, this, anime 100 percent. i mean i'm a massive gotcha man fan i knew it as g-force i also knew it as g-force i definitely watched i have a g-force poster right over there dirk daring and and uh uh i think it was still ken the eagle wasn't it no it was mark i think it was mark yeah, dirk daring was was a uh that's a different character the joe the condor <laughs> um <laughs> But and so I, that, and I mean, I'm, I'm not even mean this to tease you, but like Robotech, like I had no idea that that shows like this were they seemed different than what I was watching, but it never clicked to me as a kid that I was watching, you know, Japanese animation. So so this is where like this is where uh, our paths are a little different. So I I came to to some things later, but what the, the kind of breakthrough show and it, I know it's weird to think about this, but I know I'm not the only one. I watched a lot of Sailor Moon because it was on in the mornings before school and in in, in the afternoons after school. I think that I think Sailor Moon might have been the first show that I was kind of cognizant of the fact that it was not made in the United States. Yes, 100 percent. And you could tell that because of things like they drove on the wrong side of the road and their mouth movements didn't line up necessarily but Just also the other side not the wrong side <laughs> no it's the wrong side uh but the other uh, but the other the other side of that conversation is that at this time the internet is a thing that is coming into existence and you can suddenly look up stuff on the internet and find out things about it like the three four seasons of sailor moon that we never got in the united states we have a bit we did eventually get them and and there's even more and nowadays when there's a sailor moon show on the day after it airs in japan it airs in america with a full subtitle track but uh you'll never get that last season of Yu-Gi-Oh gx you know yeah uh, you ask enough and someone will give it to you probably but uh we can hope with a franchise as big as that 
So, so, but what's interesting to talk about that is, is this is as I am in late elementary school, really middle school, um, and, and into high school. And this is when, uh, a little, a little thing called, uh, Toonami starts running, uh, which is funny that we're talking about Toonami because the voice of, of, of the, the character on Toonami is going to be a big part of our discussions for the next few weeks. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Toonami was an afternoon block of of shows on the Cartoon Network that largely focused on anime. It is where I first watched Robotech and learned about Robotech and learned about Macross as part of that. And it it was a huge like the reason I have any like the keychain that is on my keys since I could since I got this keychain when I first learned how to drive, which is a little vf1s robotech keychain i have because of toonami it has been with me your keychains lasted that long it has lost an arm two legs and all of the head lasers off the head but okay 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 okay. because i've got i've gone through my fair share of of anime keychains and yeah they they don't last long at all (laughs) i will i will cry when that eventually fully breaks, I will shed tears. It is it is a thing that I, has been a part of of like it's been in my pocket nearly every day for for decades now. It went across the world with me. It's been to every every foreign country that I have been in. Those keys have come with me. Uh, but anyway, but as a part of that and as a part of that anime boom as anime started getting released more because you know sci-fi channel did a saturday anime saturday morning cartoon thing where i saw a ton of anime then uh including anime uh saturday japanimation or japanimation station or something like that it was japanimation station that they did at some point but it became saturday anime uh, cause I think Japan animation station was the one they did in the evenings or the afternoons, but Saturday anime was their morning Saturday morning block. And that's where I saw things like Eerie as Aram, the animation where I saw Akira for the first time and didn't mm-hmm. realize it didn't realize that it was censored next to nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, my first uh, Akira experience was a uh, sci-fi channel because I remember a kid telling me who had seen a prior showing of it. basically described it as like, uh, in in my like third grade mind as an R-rated X-Men ca- uh, cartoon. And I was like, oh, this sounds awesome. And because I, I love saying like, oh, I've always had an interest in anime, but I don't think it's always a correct statement for me to make because it wasn't probably until I was really years, maybe 11 through 14, that I really understood what anime was, where it came from, what... What, what what constituted as as anime as I knew it at the time? Yeah, for sure. But but as as all of this is happening, you know, there, there's there's stuff that's on TV. All of this stuff is going on. There's this little rumbling in the background of the internet and yar the seven seas. <laughs> and, and oh oh yeah, that was I, mean, I I watched all of Fullmetal Alchemist before it ever aired in the United States. And I've I've done that with with a number of shows. Uh, I uh, I've done that I've done that with a lot of Macross shows because you can't get those here. Uh, yeah. at, after a certain point, had to because you had to. But during all this time, a show comes on, 
and sort of takes over the whole anime conversation. Because this this show that we are talking about for the next few weeks, and, and this is something I didn't realize until we we started looking at it. This is one of the shortest of the time of the time. Mm-hmm. One of the shortest Japanese releases to American releases. Not only that, I think it also constitutes as a shift in conversation about anime. Um, it's so drastically different than almost all of its. I say peers, the wrong word, but yeah, all, all, all of all of its other shows that were airing around the time this came out in the industry, like your your Dragon Ball Z in the States, your Gundam Wing your bleach um all of these things that were conceived of as as classic like turn of the century anime in in the states cowboy bebop is so diametrically different because it's not really a a shonen style show you know it's not like one piece where there's like almost a thousand episodes or or even dragon ball where there's several hundred episodes it's 26 episodes there there's a lot of episodic content to it but it tells one singular story and it ends and unlike almost every anime that is it you get one full-length movie and and some maybe crappy video games but nothing else in terms of actual content and that's that is so rare in in that industry 100 percent so, I mean, we've talked about it, some other shows that that were kind of one and done, like Serial Experiments Lane and Fully Coolly for at least 20 years. But uh, so let's that, that, that actually that's a very that's a very good are, point. But those are they, also exceptions. But those are also exceptions. And those are also shows that came out around the time that this show did, uh, which is notable. I don't and know. Did whether it was Fully a, Coolly do as well here at the time or did it develop a cult following as the years passed? I think Fully Coolly maybe did better here than it did in Japan. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know enough about it. I don't know that to be true, but I honestly, there are times that I wonder if cowboy bebop is more popular here than it is in Japan. Um, that's something I don't, I don't think. I think, I, this, I, think this, I think cowboy bebop is that? universally popular. Well, it, it is impossible for it to not be. So let's get into the history because I want to get started talking about the show itself instead of our waxing nostalgic, uh, <laughs> about it. What is to, have, to, to, to lay a little bit of the bedrock for the conversations that are to come for the next couple of weeks, because we are spending a lot of time on Bebop. So it's good for us to kind of we're also going to talk about three short episodes. So that's pretty true. That's true. I don't want to. I wanted us to lay a a bedrock for one. And people know our anime background, but for this specific show, for our mindset going into it and for where we were at the time that this show came out. Yeah. So to start. Uh, as we get into the history lesson, Cowboy Bebop has one listed soul creator, Hajime Yatate. Uh, but in the anime industry, that is one of those pseudonyms for a collective work of a bunch of contributors. It's not the only one, but it's the one for this for this this sort of creative unit. Uh, so it's a whole group of people who had different contributions to the entire animation staff uh, of of the animation studio Sunrise. However, the recognized leader of the creation of Cowboy Bebop is director Shinichiro Watanabe. 
At the time, Watanabe had garnered some attention for his co-directing. He had not fully directed anything, but he had co-directed certain things like uh, the the OVA, which is original video animation. Sometimes they were called OAVs for a long time. Original animation for video. I don't. Again, this is all '90s anime nerd stuff. Yeah, I, I, I remember that because I remember when it switched, and I thought I was just like being dyslexic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he uh, he co-directed Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory, uh, as well as um, one of the greatest of all time. He co-directed Macross Plus. Uh, Miles, in my notes, I put less prestigious Miles, to annoy Drew. <laughs> Miles thought he was going to catch me reading and no, sir, you will not. Uh, <laughs> Uh, however, the show that would become Cowboy Bebop would be his first time as the sole director of a project. And so I just want to take a pause right here to talk about Gundam 0083 and Macross Plus. Yeah, because that, that's one I haven't seen. And, and Cowboy Bebop in that the the three things, the three links between this is Macross creator Shoji Kawamori. Shoji Kawamori was, of course, the director of of Macross Plus as the creator of Macross. Uh, He was the mechanical designer for the for for two of the main Gundams of Gundam 0083. And if the thing you need to know about Macross is that Shoji Kawamori was a huge Gundam fan and got to work on a Gundam, which is pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, and uh, all of the mechanical designs, or at least most of them, like the the Swordfish 2 ship, the Bebop, and a number of things, were designed by Kawamori for Cowboy Bebop. So his his take is all over this, and clearly yeah, there was we'll, we'll get a into lot the designs of- when we talk about the show, because I, I just, I love everything about how this universe looks. Yes, 100%. So uh, Bebop's creative impetus came from when uh, the famous toy company Bandai opted to sponsor Sunrise. So all all Bandai wanted to do was create a space related toy. That's what they wanted. Otherwise, Watanabe said that his only instruction was so long as there was a spaceship in it, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) And that's maybe not something to say to a creative. No, especially not in the late 90s when no you know, gears were being, you know, brakes were being ripped off of cars and all sorts of stuff was going on. Right. So, wow. <laughs> when Bandai saw the early test footage, <laughs> he was told this will never sell spaceships. And Bandai pulled the F out basically leaving the project to to languish in development hell until the sister division, Bandai Visual, stepped in to sponsor the show. And Watanabe has gone on to joke uh, at cons and panels, if they hadn't, you might see me working at the supermarket checkout counter right now. (laughs) So this is... That's a weird thing because I couldn't find how long in between getting dropped by Bandai to being picked up by its corporate sister. But being called, you know, saying it was put into development hell, I, I imagine they had to you know, stop for a little bit. So that's got to be a, a wild experience at this time, because, you know, this is your first this is your first attempt captaining a ship and you haven't even gotten out of the, out of the, the, the harbor yet. So this is an important thing to note, because there are two kind of arms of Bandai. There is Bandai Entertainment and there's there was 
because it doesn't exist anymore, Bandai Visual. And Bandai Visual seemed to be the ones that took the... They took, they they took, took a chance on creatives. They took the risks. Now, yeah. that wasn't always the case. They were very much more a part of, of the releases of things like... They, like the Bandai Visual is the group that put out Mobile Suit Gundam in english in america for the first time that was only the three movies and it was only on vhs and it happened before gundam wing happened it was actually the first official release in the u.s but nobody ever talks about it because it wasn't that still haven't gotten hd releases of those dubs right Um, no and you will not ever see them uh you will only see clips of them if you don't have the copies of the vhs tapes what's interesting is that a particular voice actor that we're going to talk about a lot right, plays your favorite character <laughs> is, is the voice of Sharaznable in that show. I, I want to hear that very, very much. I'll be honest. He's a little he's a little new. He's a little rusty. But but this is but but they in, but but Bandai Visual is 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 if I'm correct, they put out Ghost in the Shell and Pat Labor and a bunch of 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 kind of I'm not going to say riskier movies riskier projects but definitely not your mainstream stuff um but yeah i think they have been shuttered for a while now just it, it, it depends because they did put into... out a, a lot of gundam stuff they put they put out wing and, and you know bandai visual usa may be the one that's gone and i just didn't do enough research on bandai visual japan so don't hold me to that i'll look it up for next week <laughs> <laughs> Um, and well, it's, it's well, cause I mean, you are a hundred percent right. Cause band of visual USA, I believe well, they were the first ones to kind of put out, uh, Royal space force over here. You may be and right that about is, that. That is definitely a, a backing of creatives because that was, that was a, certainly a, an expression for it's, sure. It seems like stuff that they were trying to put out art films and stuff that appealed to the the non-Japanese audience, aka the That's American also, audience. I think has aged better. That things that we come in, back to now. In some cases, well we you just go back and listen to our Royal Space Force episode. Well, <laughs> but, look, I I will say I do think Royal Space Force it's certainly an artistic movie and an, I mean you and I had this whole conversation yeah go back and listen to it I think the world building that movie is amazing I do too and uh, I think I think stylistically it's fantastic and if it wasn't for one scene it would be a fantastic film and that one scene <laughs> ruins quite a lot of it anyway yes it does uh, so so as we get to talking about the show itself the series protagonist Spike Spiegel was the first image that came to Watanabe when he created the series. Most of the inspiration for Spike was heavily drawn from the classic anime character Lupin the Third, which very w- apparent in the first episode. <laughs> absolutely apparent in the first episode, including some of the ways that he's animated, uh, which is which I didn't. Yes, I, I when I watched Cowboy Bebop the first time, I had not seen any Lupin the Third and I d- wasn't aware of the connection. But knowing the connection, watching it this time, it's like, oh, yeah, wow. Uh, Lupin the Third is something we will spend some time on at some point on the show. We just that's one of those that we has should. There's that a has, lot of Lupin the Third. That's I've watched very little of it. There's a lot of Lupin the Third. Um, the primary cast of Cowboy Bebop was created before they ever had a story for the show. They wanted to ensure that they created an interesting cast of characters that meant something to the creators. Each character has been described to fit a trait of Watanabe's personality or a person 
opposite of that personality. Uh, so the team designed the crew as outlaws unable to fit into society who were characterized by a deep sense of loneliness or res- resignation to their fate and their past. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, like, even though the first three episodes. I, I was going to open with something, something else when we started talking about things they, they do. It does a very specific thing that a lot of animation did at the time. But the one good thing that the, the first three episodes really do is it completely establishes who these people are. These characters run these stories. And even though we don't know these characters, these characters are are fully fleshed out before we even realize it. It's such an interesting thing to watch from the beginning because you can tell the 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 writers a hundred percent knew who Spike Spiegel was. We don't they're not figuring it out as they're going along. They already know we're the ones who has to get to know this character. And it's really, really interesting to kind of meet this character at this point in history. And this is where I want to say something that is kind of wild to say. As we look at our wild, as we look at our three main characters, and this this may sound dumb. I don't know. Well, four. Well, we've only met three of them so far. No, four. Well, okay, we've met we've only met four of the five so far. I'm sorry that I wasn't really getting into the counts. I wasn't getting into the pathos of the dog, but (laughs) you should. That dog is (laughs) protected at all costs. But we we know exactly who these characters are today in the current moment. And we know that there are things that we don't know about them, but that doesn't matter because they are fully formed individuals with, and we know who they are. Like, we don't know how they got to this point, but we know absolutely who they are right now. And that is such an interesting thing because these are not characters that, well, I guess they are going to grow and like all characters do, but it's not like your typical, like, Oh, I'm the I'm going out on my first adventure and I'm going to learn everything I need to know. Right. He's not uh, Ash or Gohan or Naruto. Uh, not, yeah, Naruto or uh, Soma. Like he's. Spike is. We don't know how old he is, but Spike's been an adult for a long time and has led a very eventful life up to the point that we get to this episode. And most of that stuff we don't find out until much later in the series. But you can already tell this character and this universe feel very lived in. And the fact that we are joining these characters at this junction in their life, because this is where the story that's being told to us begins, I think is a masterstroke in narrative. And yeah. it's wild to mm-hmm. me that that what might be originally conceived this as a movie. And like, I can't imagine trying to tell the story of Cowboy Bebop in one singular movie, not with everything this series does. And even though it became became developed as a as a TV series, Watanabe still treated every single episode as its own little movie. So he was basically telling a series of 26 20 minute short films to him. Which which um, definitely reads. It's all uh, the way that the, the story is framed. It's a particular bounty that they are going after. And, you know, maybe it's something that they know that they know about beforehand. Maybe it's something that they encounter in the time. Some of them are funnier. Some of them are, are 
very serious and dark very, very serious very sad <laughs> and some of them are just sad and 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 it's this it's this interesting mix of things that that like you can tell he didn't want this show to become one of those everlasting things he didn't want it to be his star trek that he had to keep going back to over well, and over that's and over exactly again. what he said um because the series the series ending was conceived early in development so they, they wanted to have a definite end which at that time in anime is a little weird and yes the reason for creating the ending was that watanabe did not want the series to become like star trek he didn't want to be tied down to doing this show for years and years because he wanted to have a specific direction and a specific point to reach and i don't think he ever means that as a dig to star trek because Star Trek is about boldly going and exploring. This show is not about that. This show has a definite story to tell. And I think doing that was honestly an extremely brave choice, especially this time. No one really does that. I mean, there are people that do. I mean, it, it's a very British I mean, thing. Th- there are people but... that do it now. There are so many. I mean, I have plenty of anime on my shelf. But at the time, it was... To have to have a single 26 episode series and be a smash hit. Let me let me add that uh, criteria and yes. be a smash hit and not have any any ancillary material outside of one movie that takes place within the show. That still does not change anything. It's just, OK, this show is massively popular. We will tell one more story. And it's not that he's ever said never. He says maybe someday. But and and this, this is this is the thing that honestly makes me a little nervous about the Netflix series. That was the whole reason that we are having this conversation right now is because we know they're going to change things from the anime to the Netflix series. It's an adaptation. I would I would be upset if they didn't change things because I want to see a new story. Yeah, because my thing is I'm holding in my hand the remixed Blu-ray of the complete series. I will always have this to go back to. I will always have this as the one complete thought of uh, the Sunrise Studio that made Cowboy Bebop. I am fine with another adaptation coming along and doing something a little bit different or continuing. Like, I'm not against that. I just I love that these people had a complete thought, had a complete story they wanted to tell and told it. But I'm not actively against someone else telling another version of that story and maybe carry that story a little bit further past where it went. And, and, and that's the thing. I don't want the Netflix series to be, Oh, we have another season with a whole brand new story every year. I don't know. We'll see if it's good. I'll be okay with it. But you know, it's one of those things where it's a worry because this, this show is so beloved and so, so complete. Um, I will also say if you if you uh, enterprising listeners out there that that had headphones and might heard a little crinkle. No, Miles has not taken the wrapping off of that Blu-ray yet. Yeah, I got I got this uh, on a on a um, uh, gold gold sale on Amazon for I think it was like sixteen dollars. And I mean, I said I haven't seen it in a while, but, you know. The time has come. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to turn our focus to one of the keys because the story counts, the characters count, but I feel like this project is incomplete without the music. 
the music is a character unto itself. Yes. So composer Yoko Kano created the the music for the series. She formed the jazz and blues band The Seatbelts to perform the score for it. Uh, and Kano's frenetic personal style and how she conducted herself and her music often hadn't seen much success with other studios, but with Watanabe, she found the atmosphere much more relaxing and creatively freeing. And I'm going to pause right there because, again, I want to say Yoko Kano, this is not her first <laughs> her first appearance on The More You Nerd. She did the music for Shoji Kawamori's Macross Plus, which is fantastic she did the music for ghost in the shell standalone complex which would have come a couple of years after this she did that that theme song is baller all of them are um she did uh the the score for uh the turn a gundam series which is something we haven't talked about uh and it's available on uh all the spotify apple music streaming services uh but the show is only available on blu-ray in the u.s so good luck finding that but it's uh, all of this stuff by the way is very different and i just want to say because i know someone will will email us or tweet to us there have been more recent accusations of plagiarism when it comes to the this music and 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 other jazz stuff and i i didn't do enough research on that i'm not going to speak to it not because i disagree with it i just don't know about it and i have too much respect for yoko kano to uh to spend too much time on that i'm sorry i'm a fanboy i'm gonna just <laughs> um i'm i'm not as uh here's the thing the the music in this show as it is represented in the show is amazing whether or not that's entire and, and uh kind of stuff i don't think it's mostly been bebop it's been some of her other stuff that has been picked at um but again we yeah i don't want to focus on that sort of thing but i i will say no matter who did it the music selections in this show are a character un- unto itself and is i think as equally important as any other facet of this show. And one other thing I will say about it is when it comes to the theme song tank, um, I, I was listening to so good. To, so good. Oh, I was listening. So I was listening to a podcaster uh, who is a, 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 an anime podcaster. Solbro Ryu from the Gundam podcast. Uh, I should tweet to him because I'm calling him out for a story he told a decade ago. Yes. It's been that long since he told this story. He was walking down, uh, he was in New, in New Orleans and he's walking down the streets of New Orleans on a, on a busy night and there are jazz clubs all over and he hears a song. He pr- picks his head up and he gets a little closer and he gets a little closer. This New Orleans jazz band is playing tank <laughs> on in the big easy for uh, just an anime song is just being played amongst all of these other uh uh jazz in, in the home of jazz basically uh which is pretty pretty phenomenal um yeah i mean there she she is has definitely been massively influenced by jazz and blues um and and much much of the score is is if not um an homage or lifted because there's there are, there are there are movements in this series that are, are absolutely paying specific homage to certain songs or certain eras or or locales and sounds 
Um, well, so this, well, I'll say this is what Watanabe himself said about her art style. Uh, so uh, uh, Watanabe said of Kano, she gets inspired on her own, follows up on her own imagery and comes to me saying, this is the song we need for Cowboy Bebop and composes something completely on her own. Some songs in the second half of the, half of the series, we didn't even ask her for those songs. She just made them and brought them to us since the uh, since uh, that that is pretty wild. And since the success of Cowboy Bebop, Kano and the Seatbelts have often worked with Watanabe on, on other shows, uh, releasing seven original soundtrack albums, two singles, extended plays, and two comp- compilations. In fact, on the Blu-ray for Kids on the Slope, which is also about jazz, uh, it says on, on the Blu-ray, featuring the talent of Shinichiro Watanabe and Yoko Kano. Like, Equally credited. There you go. That's incredible. Uh, and, and so, yes, no matter what your opinions are, uh, the, the work itself is still incredible. And when this show came out, all of these these magic ingredients came together, aired on TV Tokyo from April 3rd to June 26, 1998, to universal acclaim. The international reaction was equally enthusiastic and sent Cowboy Bebop and the characters themselves to the top of many uh, best of lists or um, year end lists or a lot of those magazines at the time loved doing their kind of, you know, best character of the year, best uh, anime uh, of the year. I mean, all all these little magazines had different things because you had about 15 different anime magazines. magazines at the time the anime web uh, rings on GeoCities went crazy <laughs> well i mean because bebop especially since then is often considered a key property to be used as a gateway series to get someone to understand the medium of anime as a whole this is a series that has had universal acclaim and not i mean from the east from the west i mean you you have even at the time of release a lot of the the Japanese critics were calling it a standout in an otherwise run of the mill season, um, and then the the West. I mean, it's it's insane. The people's I would say almost I in another in any other situation I would say a hyperbolic reaction because um, it was I mean ha- since its release has been placed on best ser- anime series of all time lists. Uh, this show was a smash hit selling, you know, posters. And it, it's so funny because this show almost didn't happen because Bandai didn't think that it would sh- sell toys. And well, here Miles, we are with. It probably didn't sell toys. Let's be real. <laughs> they didn't make toys. <laughs> but with you got to make toys to sell toys. And this would have sold toys with all of this huge reaction this hyperbolic reaction to it, this overwhelming uh, 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 positivity surrounding this series. As I sat down to watch the first episode of this show, which I have watched recently, it has been the last couple of years, as we talked about earlier in the episode. I have a hot take for you, Miles. Right. It deserves every bit of okay. that credit. <laughs> it- it absolutely does. So, well, yeah, let's let's get into after almost an hour. 
let's actually cut into these first. And, and, and the reason we wanted to spend so much more time talking about the impetus of Bebop is it's a pretty short cut to talk about these episodes. These these first three, and this is what I wanted to talk about. A lot of, of animation series that I grew up with at the time, when they debuted, the first three episodes were often released as a movie. Batman Beyond did this. Uh, Superman the Animated Series did this. A lot of series would package those first three episodes and release them direct-to-video as a film. And while these are separate enough that it would be almost impossible to do that, I feel like the same information from these first three episodes is is transmitted to the audience in the same way that these first three episodes of other American series that were packaged as a film would give you. We get the whole cast coming together with the exception of one character. And we kind of get a little bit of who all these people are. We mostly don't get a lot of the nitty gritty serious stuff yet. But this allows us to spend some time with these people, getting to know them in the act of what they do, as opposed to giving an info dump of Spike Spiegel was born on this day and he did this, 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 and this. And doing so is like Drew mentioned earlier, you know, he's not a hero going on a quest. And so dropping us into we're interacting with these people on a normal day for them. Yeah, the first shot of this entire show is Jet cooking dinner. Well, no, because there's the the well, flashback. Yeah, there's there, there <laughs> yes the the. I, so was that added in? I don't remember that from the first time I saw it. Uh, it's been there for the last couple of times I've seen it, so I don't okay. think that's been added in. Okay. The first scene of the narrative that we see is Jet cooking dinner. It is a very slice of life entrance to what is a bombastic, larger than life space adventure. He's cooking bell peppers with beef, although uh, <laughs> although his his partner in in, in I, I don't want to say crime because they do bounty hunting. So that's kind of <laughs> kind of crime, so but not really. <laughs> that's that's the thing about the show is. So, yes, they are cowboys or bounty hunters. And in this in this world, bounty hunting is a well, not only a legal activity, but from what I have ascertained from the first couple episodes, because it's been a while since I've lured dove into this series, it is funded by the police. Yeah, the because police are the ones about, that, that post the bounties. Yeah, so it's that's why it's legal. It's and, is you are going through the actual law enforcement to get these bounties now. It seems to be it could have just been, you know, they're they're good people. But, you know, Jet goes through this list one time about telling Spike to be careful because how they lost most of their bounty on Spike being pretty careless with public property destruction. <laughs> so I, I would assume that like that gets taken off your your. So, uh, uh, but again, the world of the of the show isn't as important because they don't they do they do a lot of unspoken world building, but oh yeah, they don't lay out a lot of what's going on on this planet. For example, this the whole first episode takes place in Tijuana, but it's not Tijuana, Mexico. It's an asteroid colony that's called Tijuana that <laughs> that has a lot of trappings of 
traditional Tijuana. <laughs> and this is what I loved about diving into the back into this and looking deeper into this because it's called Tijuana, and there are a number of uh, references. Specifically, there is uh, an homage to the, uh, the scene at the El Rey is taken directly from Robert Rodriguez's Desperado. The bar is a replica of the bar in which that movie was was filmed. Huh. And so even um, the, the bounty thereafter, Asimov's, kind of looks like El Mariachi. And <laughs> um, the woman with him kind of looks like Selma Hayek. So it's it's cool that they're they're kind of taking all these genre references because his name's also Asimov, as in Isaac Asimov, the famous science fiction author. <laughs> like immediately, this is not stuff that you always catch on the first. I mean, Asimov's one you can catch on the first viewing, but all the stuff about Desperado and and I mean that's that's film nerd stuff. The people who made this show are big, big nerds. Yes. And so seeing that kind of attention to detail, like Drew was saying before, the world building is so subtle that they do very little to handhold you into this world. But if you take a little bit of time to pay attention to what they're doing uh, on, on additional viewings, you realize how much information about the universe they're building is being conveyed to you. So, so one of the key scenes in this, in the early part of the episode, so, so, so Jet and Spike know they need to, to go after this Asimov Solonson character. And Spike insists on going to talk to this, <laughs> this seer, this medicine man kind of character. And, and, and Jet is like, you sure he's going to tell you the right thing? So we flash forward a few minutes later to, to Spike and this guy in this in this small tent, like smoking a peace pipe. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I know all of these terms are not really in vogue anymore. I just don't know what else to call them. But and, and, and the guy is telling him all of this like prophetic vision about what's going to happen. But if you look in the background of that scene, he's surrounded by piles of old, dusty, decrepit 90s technology. Like he's got a stack of VCRs behind him, basically. Did you see the the PS One? I didn't see the PS One. I didn't catch that. That's great. There's a there's a dusty PS One there, and yeah, I mean that, that that's the cool thing is like I never noticed that before. I did this time. I'm gonna go back and, and watch that scene again. <laughs> yeah, there there's a, a PS One in in the in the uh, yeah that little scene where. Um, I'll see if I can find a, a screen grab of it. So, uh, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll look for it later. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, stuff like that is is so cool. This this world is so rich, and even the opening thing. So you know, this tells you who they are. They're bounty hunters. He's going after this guy, and it's very simple because the the Asimov ripped off the syndicate that he's, he's to belong to, and you know, he's got this drug. Everything is so simple in its storytelling, but it's the way in which they're telling the story that makes it fun. Because Spike, who is very much like Lupin in this first episode, because he's got a a sense of humor about him. He's not super, super serious. And so that's the thing that I have have to say is I remember Spike being extremely cool, like the coolest guy that has ever existed in in the universe. 
And sometimes he is. And sometimes he is. And sometimes he is making a cigarette disappear. (laughs) (laughs) Doing 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 sleight of hand magic. (laughs) That that scene brought me back to what I smoked, because I don't know if listeners know this, but I have now a year without smoking. Um, But I I just like. I wanted to like cough up when I saw that because I I just couldn't imagine doing that. (laughs) That's in episode three. I'm talking about him like just doing it into his hand and disappearing in episode one. Oh, when he's doing that's the Lupin stuff. Absolutely. His all of his movements like that are very much like Lupin. And but the cool thing is when they turn when they they always remind you that Spike is also extremely good at what he does. We are told that countless hit squads have tried to take Asimov off, off uh, Asimov on. But when he goes, he goes into hand to hand combat with Spike, Spike holds his own very handily. Well, so, so I want to say two things about this because I want to, I, I just want to drop in for anybody who isn't watching along with us. The cool, the cool thing about it is Asimov is a, a he's, he's stolen a bunch of drugs and the drug he's called he's he's stolen is called red eye or bloody eye, which is an eye spray that I don't know what it does. It kind of in- increases your reaction time, but it's it's yeah, it, it it turns you kind of into like a little Hulk. Yeah, but it, but it's it's one of those things that that it's such a sci-fi idea that is like on the opposite side of the rest of this show. But at the same time, the dude is literally gassing up a spaceship at a gas station when he encounters him for the first time. It's really, really funny. And you know what? I don't think I'd ever seen that before and rarely see it since that he just he's yeah gassing up his his ship as if it's, you know, a, a 94 Honda at the gas station. Yeah, right. Like it's 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 fantastic. So. When we have the first encounter, Spike does lose the fight but he doesn't lose the fight because this is one right. of the this is one of the greatest things that I, that that you see in this first episode is that that Asimov cuz Spike is tantamount flirting with with Asimov's girlfriend Katarina who we should also mention is very pregnant well appears very pregnant so Asimov comes, you know, he's spikes is kind of flirting. And and what what we don't know as the audience is that, you know, Spike has already made this person. He knows who she is. He knows what the deal mm-hmm. is. And, and that's one of the coolest reveals is that he's known the entire time, though. He seems to be this sort of bumbling guy at, at the beginning. He's he's honestly really really good at doing this job so uh, asimov grabs him and is choking him out oh it's choking him and then of course katarina who spike has built up this this rapport with tells him to stop and so he stops and you just see spike's hand kind of float back and go into the coat before he hits the ground of go into asimov's coat before he hits the ground he's grabbed He's grabbed it. He's 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 this was all part of the plan. And it is mwah, yeah. it's beautiful. And all because of this is happening with a crazy jazz soundtrack. And it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, because he knew that as enhanced as Asimov was, he couldn't outlast him in a, in a stamina contest. So he opts. All right, I'm going to lose this. 
but I'm going to lose it in a way that puts me in a position to give me the upper hand. And and I, that's the that's the cool thing about Spike. And the best part about it is like it's not like the episode ends with, oh, we cut the bad guy and everything's OK. No, it's a, a tragic ending and they don't get the money. It's a like, bummer. It's a bummer. Yeah. Like so few shows would be like and they honestly, spoiler warning, they often don't get the money. Like Spike Spiegel is a combination of the coolest person you can conceive of with the luck of Peter Parker. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. But all of but all of this with the big there's spaceship fights and there's all sorts of things. And all of this happens to just this dope. Oh, jazz. Is the asteroid, is the asteroid an O'Neill cylinder? Uh, no, I don't think so. OK, because I, I got I got vibes of that because you saw like all that grassy land and then they're kind of like in space as well. And so I didn't know if that was supposed to be similar to some of the Gundam colonies or not. So, the I mean, there are asteroid colonies in Gundam, but the O'Neill cylinders are not asteroid related. The asteroids were pulled into the area to be mined for their materials to build the colonies. Move it so on. Move it different on. thing. OK, I, it on. gave me some similar vibes because a lot of the tech is not shiny and new. Yes, they got spaceships and yes, they have, uh, you know, futuristic stuff. But all that feels very much like in the vein of the original Star Wars, where everything's kind of grimy and used. And, you know, Bebop looks like it's about to break down at any given moment. Bebop is about to break down at any given well, moment yes, because they there, don't have the money to, to fix it up. <laughs> but I, I love that. I love these lived in worlds that aren't just clean and sparkly because that's likely not how it's going to be. Like this, this Tijuana asteroid, I was like, yeah, I could see that being an actual colony. Yeah, but it's also you know, there. There's also a lot of other stuff going into it, and we're going to see that in episodes two and really episodes three, especially. So let's move into episode two. We, we should also say episode one, Asteroid Blues. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's not episode one. It's session, session one. one. And I love that. I love Mwah. that. that <laughs> they keep the musical motif. And <laughs> so each episode is a session. And I think that is such a cool way. like. I can't even be cynical about it because it's a cool way to recontextualize taking in the information of an episodic TV show. Yes, 100%. Uh, session two, Stray Dog Strut. Again, all of these are, it, you can find, because again, the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack, by the way, is also on all the streaming services. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, probably. I don't know who has that, but... Uh, you can find that very easily. Mwah. Beautiful. Uh, so Stray Dog Strut takes us to Mars. Uh, this is, again, another world building moment. We haven't seen Earth at all yet. I wonder why. But Mars, we're actually on the planet and we are, are looking for uh, a target, Abdul Hakim, who is someone who regularly has plastic surgery to change their appearance. So you don't know who they are going to look like each time. I want you to answer a question for me, Drew, because you might be the only other person that may have noticed this about this episode. What is the Star Trek reference in this episode? So the Star Trek reference in this episode, Miles, is on the front license plate of the scientist's truck. 
Yes. Uh, there are scientists uh, as part of this episode. Uh, the license plate reads NC-1702, which is very close to the USS Enterprise NCC-1701. Thank you and good night. I, but again, I, I love... <laughs> <laughs> I love that this show does that because they're not doing that just to be clever. They're doing it because they know some people will will see that and be like, OK, this is awesome <laughs> because the people who love Star Trek are going to notice that. And again, we have more genre love in this episode. The The bounty in this episode is a character named Abdul Kareem. Hakeem, Hakeem, who bears resemblance to how Kareem Abdul-Jabbar looked in the Bruce Lee movie A Game of Death. And there is a lot of there's a lot of Bruce Lee in in Spike, but there's a lot of references in this one. I especially like the the use of the nunchucks that uh, Spike displays. Spike and... even calls out that they are a specific model to uh, to a Bruce Lee movie to which the guy that wasn't going to sell them to them to him gives them to him and gives him the information that he's looking for <laughs> yeah it's 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 fantastic and i yeah and, and we get a little bit of a, a musical reference because the the code name that uh hakeem uses is snoop which is i mean if you're if you're in a show that deals with a lot of music there's only one person named snoop you can think of well it's all but that's there's there's twofold to that because Snoop at the time. I'm not sure if he was Snoop yet or if he was still Snoop Doggy Dog. And the whole point of this episode revolves around Ein, the dog, dog. that they are right. that he is trying to to escort off the planet. There's not again, I mean Snoop was always referred to as Snoop by other rappers, like in songs. Sure. But yeah, sure, he was totally. still called Snoop Snoop Dog. So I, I there's not a lot to say about this episode that isn't just us talking about visual and music cues. Um there's also a dude who looks very much like Vash the Stampede in this episode. Well, so funny that you bring that up, because if <laughs> if there's one character that I would compare Spike to in some ways, it would be Vash the Stampede as a character who is and and, and Trigun does this much more egregiously, a character that comes off very comedic, but who is also really good at what they do and has severe pathos behind him. But the comedy in Trigun is much more more overt than what's done in Bebop, I, I would I would say. No, that's 100 percent true. And we're not talking about Trigun right now, so we won't talk about the problems that I have with Trigun. But um, yeah, at me, at me. Um, I don't remember your I, I'll go back and re-listen to the episode. I don't remember you having brought about problems with we'll it. We'll talk about we'll talk about it later. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this episode because there's not a lot going on. But Miles, I'm so glad that you called out that thing about the, the license plate because, you know, I paused it, dog. You know, I paused it. You know, I saw it and I backed up the 10 seconds and I paused it to watch it happen. And <laughs> and then I felt dumb two scenes later when there's an extended scene of the front of the license plate where I could have just read it without having to pause it. But, you know, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, but the end of this episode uh, does involve the addition of one of our three or the, one of the three of the five main crew members joining the crew. I'm the dog gets uh joins the crew of the bebop at the end of this episode which is uh a fun thing because he's it a data is. he's a data dog whatever that means and uh he's now Ein on the ship is uh the best boy and 
um, just absolutely adorable. The, uh, <laughs> my girlfriend has a Bebop shirt that is just a big, like, oversized photo of Vine. And yes, but you're right. This is very much very similar to the first episode. It is a standard. This guy is the bounty. Uh, Spike's going to do some cool stuff. There's going to be some cool sequences that are choreographed very, very well. Um, I don't I agree with Drew. There's not a lot we can say other than talking about the cues. Uh, it's just a very, very stylish episode. We get a little bit more insight to some of the work work ethics of Spike and Jet. And we uh, also see that as much as Spike talks about how he hates dogs and kids. Well, they keep that dog. And and Spike's the one who brought the who saved the dog from his ultimate demise and brought him onto the ship. This is also the first episode that features Big Shot, the the bounty hunter TV show that I referenced in the intro to this episode um, uh, tonight uh, and uh, where it's just two people dressed as cowboys, one wearing uh, a negligible amount of clothing. <laughs> it's talking about bounties. Yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 I mean, it's a very, very fun episode. And again, it's a, it's a good, an, I love that this 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 show takes the time in the first three episodes to one tell you fun stories like you have a good time, but it it just gets you comfortable with the characters. And in the next episode, we get fully introduced to what's going to be the main cast for the foreseeable future. Yes, and also the main cast of the Netflix series. Uh, session for the foreseeable th- future. Yes, <laughs> session three: Honky Tonk Women. Uh, the 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 boys decide uh, jet and and spike there's no bounty there after this time they have just decided that they are going to take what little money they have to a casino and gamble it to get their fortune (laughs) yeah (laughs) but what they don't realize is that a particular uh a particular person who uh what do they call her Oh, Poker Alice. Poker Alice is there, although Poker Alice would have been more than 200 years old. So I don't uh, know this what play, this takes place. In what, 2400 or something like that? So uh, I thought Poker Alice is a real person that existed in the 19th century. So. OK, so I didn't know that um, the show supposedly takes place in the 2070s. I don't know that that kens with with this particular character's backstory and based on how old she was when things happened. But anyway, we uh, are. In- let, let, let me show you a photo of, of poker Alice before you say that, because I, I think she would fit into the bebop universe uh, with that cigar popping out of her mouth. <laughs> Look, man, you age her down by about 50 years and uh, she might just well, and they even talk about how, you know, Faye is supposed to be made up to look older in this one. And and she so I I looked up a little bit like she was basically a Wild West uh, outlaw (laughs) uh, who was a felon, carried a gun and smoked cigars like Faye. So (laughs) it's I mean, I don't know who on the on the 
the team was a big Western buff. But I mean, that's that's a deep cut. I only know about it because I just looked it up, you know, in in seeing if that was a thing for for this thing. I mean, the stuff that I knew was like honky tonk women was a song by the Rolling Stones. That's the obvious reference for me. And <laughs> the fact that the uh, the lift that uh, Spike and Jenner in the one where Spike swallows a cigarette that I referred to earlier. That says welcome to spiders from Mars spelled S P A I D E R S, but obviously a reference to David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. See, I saw welcome to spider, but, uh, uh, or supida, but I just assumed that was the, the name of the, the casino anyway. So this, that, is, that is the assumption is that spiders from Mars is the name of the casino, which again, this is a casino on Mars. Um, so, there are some fun character moments. Of course, we're introduced to Faye Valentine, who is someone who is in a tremendous amount of debt that we learn. We don't mm-hmm. necessarily know why she is in a tremendous amount of debt, but also that she's older than she looks, whatever that means. Um, now, Miles and I know what that mean because, means because we've seen the rest of the show. But, right. <laughs> but we don't know that at the time watching this episode. But this is where we also learn some fun things like Jet we learned that the reason that jet is going to the casino with spike is because he knows they're going to win because spike is really good at presumably card counting and other things like that. And that he is going to like, don't be your, your eyes are too good. Don't be too good or we'll get kicked out of here. <laughs> right. And, and it's, 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 this is a continuing theme in a lot of the, the show in that there is obvious there's always a camaraderie as well as a competition and sometimes antagonistic feelings between uh spike and jet and and Faye. and this is put so well because you know we were told by the the casino owner that like they know that Faye is excellent in cards and that she can Turn something like that, and, and, so, and one of the uh, sauciest moments that's in, in in this show so far. This this uh, this show's not going to sell any spaceships with with moments like this, uh, where the the owner of the casino who was trying to get her to 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 work with him uh, pulls a card from a particular place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean. The thing is, bad guys be bad guys. No one's saying it's okay. Um, and these are bad people. They're slimy people. They're grimy people. Um, and I think you're supposed to be like, yeah, that's icky. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we get, I think, one of the more fun aspects here because there's a lot of of misinformation and double crossing and general it almost feels like an espionage film. Like it's a take off of the casino heist movie, but except one person doesn't know they're part of the heist. Yes, exactly. That, that, which is one of the most fun parts of this episode is that Spike and Jet don't know what they have done. <laughs> they, <laughs> they are accosted on the floor by, by the, the casino security because Spike looks too much like this bumbling guy that looks like what the looks like what they're supposed to be getting this thing from. And because Faye's screen was messing up because it's old tech, 
she just saw a blurry picture of the guy and assumed it was Spike. And of course, Spike happens to bump into that guy and there's an accidental swap of things. It's just it's a lot of fun. It's a comedy of errors. Yeah, it's a comedy of errors that ends with one of the coolest space battle scenes that has been in the show so far that involves a lot of really awesome like magnetic boots attached to the outside of ships and and spike yeah. knowing how to use that stuff and the guy that he's fighting not knowing how to use that stuff it's one of the best use of magnetized spacewalk action i have seen in in anything live action or anime and I love that the spacesuit he's wearing looks like it's Dave's spacesuit from a 2001 A Space Odyssey. It, it also looks like he's wearing clown shoes. It's not the most cool spacesuit you've ever seen. <laughs> but here's the thing. It doesn't matter because Spike makes it cool. That outfit, yeah, is essentially not that cool. But the way he just clicks his boots and the way he does his certain thing and then he hides behind certain things so fast. Spike makes it awesome. Definitely. And and. And this episode ends in a weird spot because Faye has destroyed part of the bebop and the boys don't have any money left <laughs> to fix it. Yes, um, we were gonna, we were going to see some. Um, some repercussions of this episode almost immediately. It's where we start seeing some through threads or at least some some continuing moments. It's this does not just constantly um it's not adventure of the week and every episode does have some slight ramifications i mean we do see that ein is still on the ship he chases down uh fey more than once uh because he is very protective of his new home and good boy ein he's is it the best boy um and i we are purposefully i think not talking about every single facet about this episode and and all three of these episodes because if you haven't been watching along with us, I, I I don't know what else to say. I mean, if you're listening to us talk about it, I presume that you've either you've either seen the show or are curious about the show. And if you're curious about the show, I'm a little worried that we've been a little all over the place in describing the narrative. But part of that is because I I personally I I imagine Drew feels the same way. We want to talk about the things that make this show great outside of just what the story's about, because if if you watch the show, you're going to get the narrative. And I want you to experience and, that. And as we, talked, to, as we talked at the beginning of the, 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 the episode, the, this, these are less episodes and more many movies, but that have connections right. that go through them. And that's where it's like, what if the bond series had a through thread? Yeah. And we're still, we're still in the early, the early days, the through threads yeah. are starting to like the seeds to those are starting to get planted. And I know we're going to get at least one of them next week. But right. but I, I want people to still be able to experience that, even though we're spoiling certain things and talking about what makes this show work so much. I, I think it's also doubly important that you still get some of that experience. And. I mean, this watching these first three episodes, one. I'm not going to lie. There was an element when I first turned on the show and I listened to Tank, which I've listened to several times over the years. But what in, in context of watching the show, I got taken back to my dorm room in Marsh <laughs> at Wofford College watching this oh, um, on, a, on a Friday evening. And 
I mean, it was it, that that experience was fun, but rewatching this, having already seen these episodes and and watching them outside of 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 a first time viewing, I'm not only still loving the show, but I'm loving it more than I loved it previously. I'm noticing or or researching it and and discovering things that I didn't even realize before and these additional layers that flew over my head the first time I saw it. So not only so far am I loving this thing that I both nostalgic for and thought was one of the greatest examples of serialized anime television outside of, uh, and not to, you know, blow up one of Drew's favorite things, but outside of Mobile Suit Gundam 0079, this, this series is continuing to impress me over 20 years later. It's the pacing of these episodes is so good. They, I mean, these are 25 minute episodes. And again, I mentioned at the start of this first one, I thought I was going to get bored because I've seen it a, a, a recently and I've seen it enough times, but they know how to do the action. They know how to, to like just they know how to That's do a kinetically it. Kinetically directed show. Yes. It's so kinetic. And, and Miles, I think the saddest part of watching this with me is knowing that you and I were independently watching this show in the same building <laughs> and we didn't know each other. I, I know. Yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> funny. I mean, Drew and I like crossed paths several times in college. I was friends with his wife. Uh, we we have obviously since come on to become best friends, but it 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 kills me this day that there is someone who, even though Drew and I will will always snip at each other because we are very very brotherly, um, someone who would have enjoyed the same silly things that I do. I'm I'm only worried that like maybe if you and I were hanging out all the time, you may not have met your wife. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, well, no, we won't because we don't have time machines. But uh, it's it's just it's but no. Those... I, it, it does it does like drive me mad that I'm like I can't believe this mf'er was in the same building as me watching the same stuff and I didn't know about it. We could have had this conversation twenty years ago <laughs> <laughs> over college radio. Over uh, well, did did we have a college have radio college? station? I, I I don't know. You I know what? It was it was close enough to podcasting existing that we might have started one back then and have been much more popular. But uh, <laughs> yeah, or or student documentaries because I think I was in one of yours. <laughs> you were in my student documentary that I might post one day. I need to make sure that hard drive still works because otherwise it's been lost to time forever. Oh, I but, have uh, so many stuff from that era. But a- anyway, uh, Bebop. <laughs> Cowboy Bebop. These first three episodes are just like the door is just creaking open uh to to everything that we're gonna see and miles i'm gonna have this conversation with you on air do you want to do three episodes or four episodes next week so part of me wants to do four just because i want to watch more uh we also will be taking less time because we won't have as much intro stuff to go through so uh, I'm down watching four. Let's try four episodes. We're going to do it, gang. We're going to do four episodes next week. Session four, Gateway Shuffle. Session five, Ballad of Fallen Angels. Session six, Sympathy for the Devil. And session seven, Heavy Metal Queen. Man, 
there's a lot in these next few episodes but yeah also, I, I, I i'm excited to really crack into the world of of, of bebop because there's a there's a few episodes that are world building and there's a few episodes that are standalone and i hope you guys go on the journey with us again this show is on netflix right now this show is on well it was on hulu i didn't look to see if it's on hulu uh it has been available on amazon and itunes for as cheap as five or ten bucks in the last month it's available and it is worth your time uh so oh yeah that's what we're gonna do next week of course we are continuing the cowboy bebop with four five six and seven one two three let's jam and that's where we're going to end it tonight. Uh, so if you would like to get in contact with us, you can find us at themoreyner.com where you can find our entire backlog of episodes. You can tweet to us at themoreyunerd. You can go to facebook.com slash themoreyunerd. And you can email us themoreyunerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyunerd at gmail.com. And we got an email that, of last week that I forgot to pull. Uh, so I'm sorry uh, uh, for that fireball. But uh, yeah, I hope you're with us on this on this journey because. Cowboy Bebop is a trip. Um, yes. Um, I, I was actually uh, reading the email. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am. I am very, very excited. And and um, they also mentioned that that Bebop was one of the three anime to get them into anime, and that the other two were Inuyasha and Witch Hunter Robin, which at the time were also big big anime i've actually never watched witch hunter robin outside of maybe one episode we I we got all- a challenge back in the day to watch when we were doing uh listener challenges to watch witch hunter robin and it just wasn't available where we could get it easily so we never did it but we well, uh, need to look into that because i would love to go into witch hunter robin especially since i've never seen it and the prospect of seeing a classic anime that i haven't seen is super super exciting and I'm I, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch more Bebop. I can't wait for the, the Netflix show. Um, uh, like like uh, our, the, the, their email. Uh, I also had the original Bandai release and the Blue Labor release. I I loved this. The music from the show. I love this show. I don't have much Bebop merch. They the weird thing about this show, and this is a weird thing that happened to a lot of anime around this time is. Drew made a joke earlier about uh, selling selling toys, and part of it was that maybe outside of Wing and Dragon Ball, a lot of these shows didn't sell action figures as much at the time. You got wall scrolls, posters, keychains, uh, basically anything other than action figures. Because, uh, you know, they weren't they were shows that were aimed at an older audience that wouldn't necessarily enjoy an action figure, I guess. I don't know. Uh, or. Or silk shirts at Gadzooks. <laughs> because I remember those full shirts at Gadzooks that had like Goku and Vegeta on them. And uh, I don't know if I saw Bebop one, but I you mean, know, just, I know they were going for you're 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 absolutely right, Drew. They were going for an older crowd, but I think they took they took for granted that that older crowd would buy toys because I think adults buy just as much toys, if not more so now than kids i would have a swordfish too on my desk uh, right now uh, but mm-hmm. with that said we are now going to end the show as we always do with a rousing 
Nerd. Nerd. Out. Out.